friends and neighbors. You're listening to Portland from the Left. My name's Josh. My name is Piper. And today we're going to be talking about a neo-Nazi meme that was in a PPB training deck. Yeah, so back in September, as a result of a lawsuit that Don't Shoot Portland has against the city about excessive use of force with the police department during protests, um, I guess this slide deck came up in, uh, what do they call it, Discovery? And Wheeler actually just announced it two days ago on uh, Friday. Today is um, Sunday, January 16th. So we're talking about it immediately after. And the only reason he released it was because he expected um, the lawsuit to actually make this public. So he was just trying to get ahead of it by a few minutes and have a press release before the lawsuit actually made it public. Really at the the last moment he possibly could. And it's a little bit funny, especially because the lawyers that are in charge of the lawsuit actually ran up against a deadline and ended up needing an extension. So Wheeler could have given himself a little more time, (laughs) but because he didn't realize that the lawyers weren't quite quite ready with whatever they were, you know, filing or whatever, um, he still had to make this public and didn't have the extra cover of the lawsuit happening. Had the lawyers actually successfully filed in time, that actually probably would have been worse as far as media getting attention to the story, Mm -hmm. depending on what else is in the lawsuit and whatever, whatever else is in discovery. I'm assuming there's more interesting things to be found. That's a good point. To dig into this, what we're going to do first, uh, the whole presentation is really garbage, racist, lots of um, far-right extremism and examples of bad police stuff in it. But specifically, the last side is really terrible. And um, that's both what Ted Wheeler said in his press release and then also what at least the Oregonian said that like specifically it's the last slide. We th- we're going to go through lots uh, of the information in the in the deck, but specifically we want to talk about the last slide to start with. Mm-hmm. That's the part that seems to be making the news. And so this last slide, I'm just going to describe it. So it's a black and white photo of a person wearing tactical gear. They do not appear to be a police officer. It appears to be some other kind of person who wears tactical gear with their arm just finishing a punch of another person who is not in tactical gear. Um, there's text on top of it that is a Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Josh, would you uh, like to read just like the end of it? <laughs> I think I'll just read a little bit of it, but it kind of starts at the top of the page and says, and the Lord said, and I'll, I'll just read the last little paragraph here. It says, and once thou hast been cuffed and stuffed, once thou hast been stitched and bandaged, perhaps thou shalt learn, I'm tired of your shit. Amen. And the rest of it is just kind of bullshit, so we won't read it, but it's like talking about um, hippies. You know, hippies and stuff. And, and it's particularly um, what we found out in our research is that this is actually a chain letter that was apparently being passed around amongst conservative people and cop supporters and cops and stuff back years ago um, during Occupy times. And that was repurposed sometime around 2014 or 2015 with this photo. You know, it's, it was attached actually to Kyle Chapman, who is the guy that uh, started the Fraternal Order of the Alt-Right, uh, which is basically the military arm of the Proud Boys. He's one of the people that started gathering groups of folks in California to then attack um, various cities or, or you know, um, have far-right demonstrations and, and go fight Antifa. So he was a big name in that. So um, I'm not really sure if this is a photo of him or, or why his name's attached to it on the website Know Your Meme. But it's clear um, when we started to Google and find out more about this, it's clear that this is a, a far-right extremist meme about um, assaulting leftists for, you know, just just for performing the 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 act of protest for for being in public 
Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the stuff they're talking about here is not like you stole something or you broke a law. It's just, you exist. And that's, that's enough for me to want to hurt you. And especially I'm tired of your shit is really something considering Mm -hmm. the relationship Portland police has with the people of Portland. Like Mm -hmm. I guarantee that the people of Portland are more tired of the cop shit than the other way around. And so the idea of this particular meme from, you know, from neo-Nazi backgrounds, we'll call it, um, definitely from the far right, it is so explicitly antagonistic against leftists and and also from that culture of anti-Semitism, racism, homophobia, queerphobia. Um, it, I think that's why this gets so much attention. But as we'll talk about, I think the, the dynamics of the whole document really explain a lot about how the the cops in town feel like they you know just have no one above them there's no one to hold them accountable and that's actually true there's no mm-hmm. one that can tell police in portland what to do yeah i think that's something um that is interesting in the like how we reacted to this differently is uh you kind of expected it a yeah, little so, more than so i did i'm not much of a corporate person um, i don't have tons <laughs> of filters which is why i don't work well in corporate environments um so when i saw this i was just like well yeah of course they would share this meme i've seen this on i i have seen i don't think this one in particular but other similar memes on far right websites it's right in line with some of the stuff i've seen cops say well i remember you saying something along the lines of like oh yeah i would expect them to have something like this up in a locker mm-hmm. and so therefore you know i'm not surprised they would be in a powerpoint but like when I put that in my frame of like a workplace, um, I was thinking about like when you create a presentation, right? Like that's this like official thing you're creating and you're like showing other people, you're getting up in front of them, you're putting on like a little show. There's a lot more intention than mm-hmm. just like your own like personal stuff, you know? Um, and I was just thinking like, oh my God, there are so many jokes I would make like in my break room or have like up on the wall of a cubicle or whatever in the old times that I would never put in a presentation. Like, of course I wouldn't because of like just the nature of the political environment and professionalism of a workplace, like just a normal workplace where there's hierarchy, there's there's an HR, there's, you know, you could get in, you can get in trouble for stuff for being outrageous in some way. <laughs> and I think the, the feeling that you're having there is a sense of, um, really of, of authority and hierarchy that, you know, that there's a boss, there's another boss or some mm-hmm. other boss and that they have expectations for you. And there are like, there are consequences for your actions. I think that's mm-hmm. the fundamental thing that we kind of landed on in talking about this is realizing that Portland police bureau, the person that wrote this document and did this training, um, will face zero consequences. Mm-hmm. And we know this. The pattern that we have so far is that nobody will be held accountable and also that there really isn't a system that could properly hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Every system that we have has stipulations or rules or um, some kind of boundary that stops them from actually um, doing anything to stop Portland police from acting the way they're acting. And we have really good examples of that, right? Because I, I think about like, you know, if you were to be like, what are the like really extreme things that if you crossed a line in any other sphere, like what would those be? And it's like, okay, well, if you like, if your views were so bad that you were literally a Nazi, it's like, oh, okay, well we have that. We have, we have Kruger who put up, put up not like Nazi shit in a public park. We had to stop with Kruger for just a second because um, he made an altar to like a, a Nazi military hero, quote unquote hero, right? For Nazis. Um, what, like they found out about this later 
And um, not only like did he face a, like a, no discipline at the time, it was something like he took a week off mm-hmm. or something. They actually paid him back for it um, yeah. and then reinstated him, clearing him of any wrongdoing. As though it was totally fine. He, as of his retirement was, which was, I don't know, like a year and a half ago or two years ago now was the highest paid officer. In right. PBB. They put him in charge of vice, um, after, after the situation. So they said, Oh, this Nazi, that's who we need <laughs> in charge of like, you know, policing sex workers and stuff. That's like, makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. That's really going to be yeah. helpful. So that's like the worst, like views you could hold example that I could think of. So then it's like, okay, well, what's the worst like action? If you're like, what's an extreme action someone could do that would get them fired? It's like, well, they literally murder people on the job and don't get fired. So, so the idea that they could put, you know, some, some meme like this or whatever, that they could just blow <laughs> off and be like, yeah, it was just a joke. No big deal. I honestly, like if, if it becomes anything, I would be very surprised. Now, um, looking at the rest of the training document, looking at the information here, I think it's very plausible that this will have impacts on other lawsuits and, and certainly on don't shoot lawsuit. Presumably that's why it's like in discovery mm-hmm. um, and why it's been made public. But I just, as far as the police actually getting held accountable, I just would be very surprised. It's not the pattern we've seen. And I don't know yeah. of any method where, where they could be held accountable. It's not as though mm-hmm. we have a structure and people are just aren't using it. There's just no structure. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're thinking when we see this document about the police but then of course we've got our commissioners a few of them had responses when this was made public sam adams reaction um which he posted on twitter and linkedin perhaps elsewhere as well i just i just think it's funny he posted on linkedin you know you got to post on linkedin for all the business people yeah disgusting and reprehensible there should be on place in city government for this kind of bigotry Portland police, this is in quotes, Portland police training on protests ends with slides showing mock prayer for dirty hippie prompts investigation, which is quoting the Oregonian headline. And, and of course, we're reading Sam Adams' impression because he's kind of like a surrogate city council member, honestly. Um, proxy mayor. Proxy mayor, whatever. Uh, Mingus Maps, one of the actual commissioners, said, I am frustrated and disappointed by the rapid response team training document. I'm just saying that slowly because we haven't actually acknowledged that. I didn't know this is a rapid response team training document necessarily, just that it was about protests, but that's interesting. And again, rapid response team would be like basically the kitted out riot police in Portland that was that were um, voluntarily disbanded earlier this year. Actually, they chose to um, remove themselves from that voluntary role i think is how it's described that Mm -hmm. those people are all still cops but or lots of them are still cops but they're no longer on that team which is a volunteer position maps goes on to say this team was disbanded and we are reforming our approach to protests and rioting the most unfortunate aspect of this is that it takes the attention away from the good work the portland police bureau is doing to address gun violence and increase public safety in portland do you hear that? I guess, the, I guess the Portland Police Bureau was doing all this good work in this old presentation of 2018, which totally doesn't represent them, is really mm-hmm. going to distract from that. And the most unfortunate aspect of it is that it distracts, not that it existed. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest problem. Not the years that this training was in place and the, mm-hmm. like, well, I mean, the scars that I have on my body as a result of this training, that's not the problem. The problem is that it distracts from Portland Police good work. Mm-hmm. Does the sarcasm read? I think the sarcasm reads, right? I think it reads. And then t- what did Ted Wheeler say? Uh, Ted Wheeler had this to say. He said, I am disgusted that this offensive content was added to a training presentation for our police officers. 
As soon as I was made aware of the incident, I reached out to Chief Lavelle, who shared my deep concern and assured me that a thorough and complete investigation was underway. So that's interesting because like one, okay, well, he's probably not disgusted right now because that's kind of like it happened a long time ago that he learned about this. Yeah, back in September. So he's known it for months, four months. He reached out to Lavelle, who presumably would know about this or if not, is not doing a very good job, in my opinion. I'm I'm interested in the chain of command with the document mm-hmm. because like, as I mentioned, when um, uh, Maps mentioned it was a rapid response team document, I'm like, well... Not that this is any uh, better, but it's it gives me a better perspective into who had access to it and who might have been looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is still, I don't know what the rapid response team was, but it was like 50 or so people. It's still a good chunk of people. Um, but it is interesting to note that they're at least framing it that way, whether or not it was true. I think we'll find out later maybe mm-hmm. if, if there's more to know. Um, but it's, it's interesting at least to note that it might have been isolated just with that team and also... When Maps mentioned that the rapid response team was disbanded, quote unquote, again, uh-huh. this is a voluntary like thing. They all chose to leave the team. Mm-hmm. It's not as though mm-hmm. anybody decided the rapid response team was bad and disbanded, which we asked for yeah. in our demands. I believe this happened right after one of them was charged with a misdemeanor for um, using deadly force on someone sitting down. Mike Schmidt did charge a single officer with a crime, but it was a misdemeanor. For misuse of deadly force is what they did because they hit someone in the head with a baton who was sitting down on the ground and there was video. So basically when they heard that one of them um, was just receiving charges, not even was being held accountable for anything, but just like was going to go undergo an investigation, they all quit or they quit their volunteer positions. Again, still cops, still getting paid by the city. And Maps calls that disbanded. That doesn't seem like disbanded for me. But also the thing is that Maps is not the commissioner of the Portland Police Bureau. So he may just not know. It's weird how much he's talking about it. Maybe underinformed on cop stuff, you know. So Wheeler knew in September. That's relevant for quite a few reasons. One of which is he didn't tell us the people of Portland, right? Like, I, I mean. I didn't hear anything. But also, what has happened in between then and now, Josh? In November, during the fall budget bump, Wheeler actually had an amendment that included additional $5 million to the Portland Police Bureau. So this included money for staffing, but then also for $25,000 bonuses for new hires. So while Wheeler knew about this, he had already known about this for two months, he was negotiating with the other commissioners for this additional funding for a police bureau that he knew had this training material like in the books, mm-hmm. like this is not something that had been removed yet or dealt with yet. As far as we know, um, they mentioned an investigation. We haven't heard anything about this internal investigation and the results of that. And again, he, he didn't even bother to mention it after he got his budget passed and everything was secured. Um, he, he continued to wait and delay it until the last possible minute when he, his hand would have been forced. And so I think that tells me a lot about um, Wheeler's relationship right now with the other commissioners, um, at least um, from my perspective, if I were a commissioner and I voted for additional police funding when I knew that they were basically far-right extremists um, mm-hmm. training them, um, you know, I would have had some questions. Maybe yeah. maybe put some stipulations on that money. Maybe not given them money. And, you know, it's hard to believe for me that Wheeler really is disgusted by this, considering that until very recently, his like main staffer, like one of his highest level staffers was Robert King who we've seen in, um, you know, public records request documents 
would regularly like send Ted Andy no content. So it's like he's he's definitely like surrounded himself with people that are willing to interact with the far right. Well, Robert King isn't there anymore. Um, it's just evidence that I, I just don't really believe that Ted Wheeler would care about this. Like we've never seen any evidence that this would be something that would concern him. He on law enforcement day made a tweet about how great they are. Like just recently, the entirety of his actions were to reach out to the police chief who said, Mm -hmm. I'll take care of it, which is effectively all he's ever done. As far as I can tell with regard to policing and trying to change how policing works in Portland. There was also in some of the articles covering this event, um, someone in Wheeler's office, an anonymous person said that they're scared of the police, that that's, um, that they're afraid that they'll do a slowdown or a strike. So that seems to be the tone of like, well, let's just ask, let's just ask Chuck. And that's about as far as he's been willing to go. He's just ask Chuck. And and just to reiterate, um, in Portland, uh, the different city council members, commissioners have different bureaus and um, traditionally the mayor uh, runs or controls the police bureau. So the mayor is the police commissioner in town. The mayor Mm -hmm. is the boss of the police effectively. Um, it just happens that at least with our mayor, um, you know, that, that relationship doesn't seem to work the way you would think it would. There doesn't seem to be the authority chain that you would associate with that. It it really seems like the police run things. He's even said openly like, Oh, well, I, I don't believe him with this, but he says like, Oh, well I can't fire officers because they'll just be reinstated in arbitration with their union. Um, Mm -hmm. so he basically will admit like, I don't have power here now. I don't believe him. Like, I think he could do more, but that's like the stance he's taken is that he does not have power to challenge the police. Yeah. A lot of this has less to do with the actual legal situation and more to do with how the politicians are presenting it. Um, because as you hear them talk, they're all dodging responsibility. It's all talking about, well, this is back in 2018. Oh, Mm -hmm. can you believe this? We're really going to look at this hard. This isn't, this doesn't represent us and this kind of stuff. When, um, the actual actions that they take beyond a press release or whatever Mm -hmm. is emailing the chief, maybe, Mm -hmm. Right. I don't yeah. even know if we'd necessarily find that if we FOIA'd the information. But And then giving them more money. Right. Um, again, Wheeler's experience in September, seeing this document, knowing that this lawsuit was coming up about the use of extreme force, right, or excessive force. Um, I don't think extreme is the way they describe it. Um, and and then pushing for more money and, and saying... Um, you know, I, I was actually tracking the local news outlets a lot then because the news outlets were also pushing for additional police funding and talking about, um, you know, crime and, and, and gun violence and stuff um, excessively in order to uh, kind of hype up the um, need in people's minds for more and more police. And so not only was it Wheeler doing this, it's also Wheeler in partnership with local media pushing this narrative that number one wasn't true, right? Because police don't Mm -hmm. solve crime and and police aren't going to help with a murder rate. They're not going to help with gun violence. All they do is hurt people. And then um, secondarily that our police in particular are some of the worst police that Mm -hmm. like, even if you accept that policing needs to exist, which we do not absolutely do not. Um, then the police that we do have are the worst possible version of that. And that like that at least needs to be addressed. And I think Mm -hmm. that's, that's really, I think that's something that we uh, as a podcast and, and this political perspective bounces up against a lot is that um, like we believe in abolition 
And then also we exist in the material reality of Portland in 2022. Mm -hmm. So abolition isn't happening. So what can we hope for? What can we push for? What's the um, like potential here? And I, I feel like it's a very reasonable expectation for us to have as just Portland, I think for all Portlanders to have, that if you have a police department sharing neo-Nazi memes in their training document, that you don't give them more money as a reward. That seems like a reasonable place to start that like most people would probably agree with who are not pro-neo-Nazi. I say, you know, maybe if you find, find Nazis in your org, maybe, you know, maybe remove them. That's one step. See, it seems like a pretty normal level of accountability to expect of any organization. Let's talk a little bit about um, that vote, because the way vote, the way the budget happens in Portland um, is that the mayor can't do something like this all on his own. It does, mm-hmm. in fact, have to be a vote with all the commissioners. So there are five total people voting. Five total people voting. Yeah, Sam Adams doesn't get a vote. Uh, a question that remains is, did any of them know about this at that time? So did Wheeler share this? Yeah, and we have the the city council meetings, right, where some of the public negotiation was going on. Um, Clearly, Hardesty was against any more additional police funding and was fighting for the Portland Street response funding that was attached to this fall budget bump. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the vote was unanimous. Everybody voted for the uh, eventual budget that included the $5 million. And so whether or not Wheeler um, disclosed to the other city council members this information you know, I don't know what the rules are. If I was a commissioner, I would be bothered by the fact that I didn't have that information going into the vote. Yeah, at, at least at least set the table, you know, mm-hmm. at least give the information. And I think there's two things there. Of course, we're upset about it and spicy about it. But also, I think, you know, even a commissioner who's not a far leftist or whatever um, would be upset about this because this is information they absolutely should have had. And no matter what their position on mm-hmm. policing and, and police in town, they should have had this information in order to make this decision. If they did have the information, then I'm starting to be like, well, why did they vote for that extra funding? <laughs> because, right, right. I mean, there's not, it's not that there's like zero accountability measures for police. And that's part of why the, you know, the language about defund the police has been so popular is like that usually is the part that is in civilian control. So in Portland, for instance, it's all part of the, not all, not a hundred percent, but most of the police budget is the discretionary budget. So Mm -hmm. in theory, the commission could just be like, strike the whole thing in a vote. Like in theory, they do actually have that power. So that's, that's why a lot of the focus is on that. And so like they had this have a moment when they're doing this like fall budget adjustment, which if the police are out of control in some way, they have a tool to be like, hmm, well, you don't get as much money like that. They can do that. Legally speaking, they could do that. Yeah. So, you know. It, it, well, so like we talked about before, right? That like the cops don't have a boss that mm-hmm. like what, what our experience is that while they could do that, you know, our experience is that they don't do that. I don't want to let them off the hook of like, I don't think they're using the tools they do have basically. Yeah. So even though they don't have that much power, um, because there's not like this way of holding individual officers accountable, which like would be good to be able to hold individual Mm -hmm. officers accountable. They do have a way to 
force the police themselves to do something or at least punish them in some way. And they're not using that. They're actually like rewarding them Mm -hmm. for, Mm -hmm. I mean, 6,000 uses of force against Portlanders, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So this made the news. Um, you know, this is like the news of the weekend, which, um, it's a three day weekend. Uh, not a great time to um, release information if you want it to be known by people. Um, it's it's a great time to bury things, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we mentioned this a couple of times, but fr- Friday, like in the afternoon is when mm-hmm. press releases go. Like that's when you fire your people. That's when you announce that you lost a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's like the corporate time yeah. to put out bad news. You hope they'll get buried by Monday. <laughs> there's two outlets we wanted to talk about the way they covered this. Um, so there's the Mercury and Alex Z's piece and the Oregonian. So we wanted to talk about both of those. So here's the Oregonian headline. Portland police training on protests ends with slides showing mock prayer for, in quotes, dirty hippie prompts investigation. Josh, what do you think about that? The headline is terrible, of course, that it's not specific enough and like equating it to like one slide and also the dirty hippie thing is not the problem, like that they mentioned a dirty (laughs) hippie. So like, yeah, the headline is not descriptive enough and not aggressive enough. But I want to mention also, because we were pulling this out to look at it, I went to the Oregonians, like their homepage. And this link is like, you know, scroll, you have to scroll down to the middle of the page. And then it's one line. It's not even a graphic uh, with another sports something story above it. It's like the smallest possible indication. And for us, this was so important that not only are we recording right now, two days after this happened, we recorded for three hours yesterday trying to do an episode on this and just, it wasn't very good. So (laughs) this is like our second try and we are a podcast that makes no money and like is, is only amateur at best. People will talk about, oh, well, the editor writes the headline, whatever, the journalist isn't getting a girl. I don't really care about that. I care about the effect of it. So mm-hmm. like when people are scrolling through information, uh, people who aren't intending to read the article, the headline might be the only thing they get. And I already saw in comments on um, the Oregonians' Twitter when they shared the article, the people were like, well, who cares? Like a dirty right, hi- right. making fun of a dirty ki- hippie. Like, who cares? Because And nobody would care. An anti-hippie meme is not something to be upset about. <laughs> like, it's just... I, I'm sure we all have friends that might be upset specifically because they are specifically hippies. But yeah, I think generally it's not it's not, it's not something that I would make a podcast about. <laughs> We're like, you got to get a load of this. They're talking about hippies. Like I may, you know, I make fun of patchouli. Yeah, hey, you know, I think I think a hippie is a perfectly fine uh, sort of person to make fun of. As a counterexample, we're going to read the Portland Mercury's headline. It says, "Portland police used right wing meme threatening violence in training presentation," which I think is still maybe not as aggressive as I want. I've been saying neo Nazi because I want to attach it to something like the most um, outrageous thing I can. Honestly, uh, at, you know, in order to describe how problematic I think this mm-hmm. is, but I think right wing meme yeah. is is pretty close. Maybe uh, white right wing extremist meme or something like that yeah. might have been better. I do just want to add, um, just because I don't think we actually went into it very deeply, that like the association with Kyle Heat does have neo Nazi associations. People sometimes are like, "Well, Proud Boys aren't neo Nazis." Yeah, Kyle, Kyle Chapman in particular is a is absolutely a neo Nazi. That guy is not. Is good. As an example of that, when Enrique Tarrio, um, there was a news story going around of him being a Fed informant in the past. Um, what Kyle Bay Stickman did 
was uh, create an alternative Proud Boys that he called Proud Goys. So yeah, and specifically, uh, if you're not familiar with the word goy, it's a way to refer to Gentiles or people that aren't Jews in Yiddish and I guess in modern Hebrew. But um, it's a thing that uh, neo-Nazis um, and other like white supremacist extremists frequently use kind of self-referential and irony. What I think, what I want to talk about at least a little bit, and maybe we'll just use one example, we might do a couple, um, is the presentation itself. And I think it's important because it's a training presentation. It's, mm-hmm. This isn't just any document they had. And a lot of what we hear from reformers is like, we need some new training. We need to just train right, right. them to not be racist. So we need to just train them to not be violent or whatever, whatever it is. They need de-escalation training. That's when we hear right. a lot. So this is a training document that they were u- using and it had to do with crowd control. So when we think about, you know, all the protests that happened recently and all the outrageous use of force in the past couple of years, this is something they saw right before that, you know, just a couple of years before. So what kind of a message of training they were getting and how, like, when you call for training, what, what kind of thing you're calling for, <laughs> I, think, I think is relevant to at least go into a little bit. So one section that we thought was interesting to talk about is um, a section where they talk about the, str- the different strategies there are for dealing with protests. And they basically say there's two of them. Yeah, they only name two. One is the negotiated management model, which they seem to kind of present as the current and modern Mm-hmm. Um, way to handle things. And they also mentioned an escalated force model, which they say it was mostly used before 1970 is not how they currently do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so from, from their perspective and what they're broadcasting, they're talking about, again, negotiated management versus escalated force. Negotiated management would be like, you know, the organizers of a protest get, um, oh, what are they called? I don't even know what they're called. That's funny. What do you get when you do a protest and you ask a, a permit? City? A permit, yeah. <laughs> Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, organizers would get a permit and they would like negotiate with the police about where to start their protests, where to end their protests, how many people they were allowed to have, all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, negotiated management really just means doing what the cops say. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not a matter of a negotiation. I mean, you don't have any chips. They're the bosses and they control things and have the guns. Um, and they're saying that's now that's the modern way to handle policing. And, and from this presentation, at least the only alternative that's presented is the escalated force model Mm -hmm. and the escalated force model. The one that they say is outdated. So it's used to control protests before 1970 is confrontational and force is used only riot police, many arrests. I would say the many arrests thing, um, is maybe a little less common now. So that's probably the outdated part. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The only outdated part we really see here is like a a few changes, um, as a result of the uprising and some changes in tactics on, uh, the path of protesters. Um, uh, you know, it's really interesting the way they phrase this, that they try to say that like escalated force was the way before 1970 when that is all I have experienced Mm -hmm. in Portland from Portland police. Um, granted the the protests that I go to are frequently not permitted, Mm -hmm. They are frequently not the protests that are negotiating with the police because they're like probably half the protests I've ever been to are anti-police protests. So negotiating a location or, you know, tactics or whatever with the cops is absurd. Here's what they say about when negotiated management works. So they say um, it works well with people willing to meet and cooperate with the police does not work with anarchists or radical groups who refuse to negotiate with the police, does not work for spontaneous public disorder or riot. 
They don't say what the alternative is. So I have to assume it's just the only other system that they have, which right, is the right. escalated force. So I, I'm stuck on this a little bit because if they, <laughs> if they only had two alternatives, so right, they're like, oh, well, there's these violent bad ones where we have to do the escalated force. And then there's the nice ones where they're permitted. But like my framing for what happened in 2020 was that they were, it, the city was demanding a budget cut for the police. Like this is mm-hmm. like a, this is not an anarchist demand. <laughs> this no. is this, you know, there was a petition first, <laughs> You know, there was like, um, many people like testified to city council and, and forgive me, I don't, I don't mean to denigrate myself, but these were normal people. Mm-hmm. Like everybody was asking for this. If they're creating this binary where they have to use violence, if you're unwilling to negotiate with the police, that inherently makes even like this, like budgetary demand that would harm their power. So it's not even necessarily a very extreme thing it's just the fact that they're the target of it it makes it impossible for them to have a non-violent reaction to it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because why would you coordinate with the department whose budget you're trying to cut there's no path it seems like a mistake strategically <laughs> yeah you would think although some have made it <laughs> <laughs> No comment. No comment. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so the as Piper said, the dichotomy that they're setting up is already bullshit, right? They're setting up the table with garbage. They're basically saying that if you're unwilling to do what we say, to be in the place we say at the time we say, do the things we say, then therefore you're like this. You're illegitimate. And, and we can use this escalated force model. Yeah, we can't. We have to throw up our hands. You actually are doing it wrong. We have no choice because our negotiated management model does not work. Right, right. Which is the model that we use. So it's broken. You didn't do your end of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get why it bothers you so much, but also like given our experience, it's very like, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. We, we knew this. Yeah. Our experience is that they do these terrible things, right? That they actual, their actions are terrible. They're mm-hmm. violent. They're harming all of Portlanders. But I think my point is that even their training is that. Like mm-hmm. when we say they're being retrained to be better, oh, this didn't follow training. It's like, well, actually it did follow training. They were doing the training materials. Yeah. The training is, is bad. Well, well, yeah, the training is bad. And also you can imagine, right, if they had a test or whatever and they answered all the questions right, the answers would also be wrong. Mm-hmm. Like even if they, like they would get, they would test correctly for this material and like the information that they are learning is incorrect and like inaccurate and not helpful. And this is like going back to the timeline, the police were already under the DOJ settlement about excessive use of force. Now, not specifically Mm -hmm. in relation to protests, but they already had like really heavy scrutiny and were being asked to be retrained about force already. That was already happening. Yep. So and this is what we got. (laughs) So this is the training material they got. And then. Um, we don't even find out about it until two years later because of a lawsuit, right? So, like, even in, uh, well, three years, right? It's 2018 to 2022 or the mm-hmm. beginning of 2022. I think that's what's hitting me the most is, like, how much, like, not only this is almost certainly not the worst thing. And then yeah. also, like, how much of that training has been implemented on the backs of my friends? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, this this has, an, a, like, well, I mean, a very, like, 
a very concrete, very material impact in the lives of people around me. And so, yeah, it's a lot to think about. It's a lot to process. One of the things I wanted to mention, um, because it just came up so frequently, this is a hundred slide presentation. We have a version of this podcast where we went through every slide and it was a mistake. We made it to 25 and it was like two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But one thing we did notice is that frequently um, in the slides, they mention stats and information about North America and Europe specifically. They call it North America and Europe over and over again. And um, the photos and the, the, the examples and places that they show are from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Australia, South America, um, they've got some things that look like they might have been in Africa, um, in the Middle East, all over the place. Um, but uh, specifically when they talk about stats or when they talk about how to interact with people, they only talk about North America and Europe. So, so Piper, when, when someone only mentions North America and Europe, when they're talking about stats and they're trying to convince you in an argument, what do you start to think? I mean, I start to think they're talking about white people. <laughs> yeah. The thing is North America and Europe have some things in common, but it's particularly with policing actually have uh, almost nothing in common. Our policing systems are wildly different. And we can, we, we can know that it's dramatically different just for the fact that like the U.S. stands alone it's in its incarceration mm-hmm. rate. The whole thing, the whole enterprise of criminalizing people is not what it is elsewhere. We're not in the same category as anyone else. Any example of another protest? I mean, and you can see this with um, uh, radical protests in Central and South America. You can see this sometimes in some of the stuff from Hong Kong. They have a lot more leeway about what how they can interact with their police officers because those police officers don't have like lethal weapons on their body. Mm-hmm. And so I, mm-hmm. of course, would never recommend violence or um, attacking anyone. But uh, as, as far as self-defense and trying not to get hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. The, the reason I'm pointing this in particular out is because of how different American policing is and how, you know, getting some stats and stuff about other places, particularly if it's like all white places and you're mm-hmm. just a, a white supremacist and don't know it, the information they have is just not going to be useful. Just like if you're covering sh- like protests that are happening in Europe or in Asia or whatever, it's just like not the same scene at all, mm-hmm. particularly when you're talking about anti-police protests. I also just want to say like as a person that interacts with data a lot, um, it's weird to say the US and Europe because most data sets will exist on a country level. So that's a lot of times why you will only see a single country. Tell me more about that. What 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 happens? Like if you have two different data sets and different countries, like what's the complication there? So a lot of times the data, a data set will be collected on a country level. So when you're defining what the variables are and the criteria for counting something, you know, you have a set within that country. You're like, here's the criteria needed to count it as X, Y, or Z. They're not using the exact same criteria in another country. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of times really hard to reconcile data sets. So it's not weird for it to be one country. It's weirder for it to be the US and Europe. That is weirder. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one of the statements said, social scientists have studied protests in the US and Europe. And it's like, well, no, they've studied (laughs) protests elsewhere. Social scientists have studied other parts of the world. There are social scientists in other parts of the world studying where they live. That, that, that seems like a really reasonable conclusion, Piper. They could just leave that out and just say social scientists have studied protests and it would have been far more accurate. To put that in is very weird. Yeah, specifically this data thing that you pointed out was really interesting to me because I have spent a little bit of time Googling like crime statistics and homicide rates and stuff. And I know uh, as an example um, that the states, because they track um, violent crime and crime statistics and stuff so differently that it's basically useless. Mm-hmm. Like comparing crime across states is like it just takes forever yeah. and you really have to get into the kind of the root data, whatever's underneath it um, mm-hmm. to do your own math. 
Um, whereas stuff yeah. like homicide statistics are a little easier because the FBI does like a layer on top of everything and kind of provides some, um, data normalization, I yeah. guess it's called. Well, and even more than that, the CDC, um, mm-hmm. like cause of death data is very good. Like, yeah. so that, and that is a national source and, you know, it's the same criteria all over. Totally. So just, just as an example for like how ridiculous this point was. And like, since we're going at length about the fact that they put like (laughs) the U S slash Europe a bunch, um, just like there's multiple problems with it, whether that's from the data side or from the vibe side, when it's just a little too white, (laughs) a little too focused on white people. And saying like the times they said it were like, that less than 10% of protests involve property damage in the US and Europe. And then they showed a lot of pictures of property damage happening in other countries. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a narrative. And I, I wouldn't necessarily say that whoever put this PowerPoint really was even aware of what they were doing, but it's just clearly from a very specific viewpoint that is not only wrong, but is also racist. Mm-hmm. 